Hey everyone, my name is Mohamed Asadullo, and you're listening to the Freelance Canada podcast. Today, more Canadians than ever are starting a freelance business and earning their financial freedom in the process. On this show, I interview Canadian freelancers and industry experts about the latest trends, ideas, and strategies that can help you accelerate the growth of your business. If you've been enjoying the show, please do me a favor and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. On the show today, I'm going to talk to Juliana Casale. Juliana has spent the last 10 years marketing at small and mid-sized B2B SaaS startups. She moved from Boston to Toronto with her husband in 2018 and thinks milk in a bag is super weird. In this episode, Juliana and I talk about how Canadian freelancers can test the waters to see if becoming a full-time freelancer is for them. So let's get to it. How are you feeling? Feeling pretty good. I mean, given the state of the world, okay, <laughs> today. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get started then. What do you do as a freelancer? So I help B2B and SaaS companies with marketing projects. That can range from website updates for copy, email sequences, ad campaigns, case studies. So really anything to do with the written word where you're trying to either educate an audience or get them to take an action. And how did you get started in that? It was not on purpose, <laughs> admittedly. So I had a marketing job that was in-house in April. And unfortunately, I lost it along with a lot of other people. And I started looking for more in-house roles just because that's what I've known my entire career as a marketer that's been in the space for about 10 years. But I found that as I was interviewing for full-time roles, that companies were very hesitant to hire during the pandemic and people were pretty wishy-washy on getting back to me. And I was at a senior marketing level, which makes it even harder to get hired because kind of expensive. So <laughs> while I was looking for full-time roles, I started freelancing on the side. And then as I kept having these conversations and interviews with companies, I kept saying, you know, I'm not sure this is the right fit for me. You know, they're interviewing me, but I'm also evaluating them. And I decided that freelancing full-time was actually going to give me my independence and give me the space to really be picky if I did land at another full-time role. And so I kind of scaled back my interviewing process and started really putting myself into finding freelance projects and consulting instead. Right. And how's it going? How are things? <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, I incorporated myself in May and I realized that obviously I was going to have to market myself, which is weird because as a marketer, I'm just so used to marketing brands or companies, but explaining what you do and what you're good at is apparently really hard. At least I found <laughs> it really challenging. I think I'm not the only one that's felt this too. And so, you know, trying to pick a niche is something a lot of people tell you to do as a freelancer, but I have a very broad skill set. So that was kind of a struggle trying to find work in the summer because I really started trying to find gigs for freelance work in June. That was tough because people were on vacation or, you know, we're still in the middle of this, you know, global crisis. So that was a little tough to nail people down. And having started freelancing for the first time, I wasn't sure what to expect, what was normal, quote unquote, or not. So just kind of figuring out what the baseline of what, if what I was experiencing was normal, was tough. And then, you know, it's a slow drag to try to get clients because you're coming at them from out of nowhere and you're saying you're an expert in something and they have to trust you <laughs> with what you're saying and they trust you with their business as well. And so I think the first month or two was really slow. It was kind of a grind. I was trying to pursue a lot of things that I saw on Slack groups or Facebook groups or on LinkedIn. And, you know, I'd say half the time 
someone would say, great, send me samples or, you know, give me a quote. And then half the time after that, I'd get on the phone for a discovery call. And then half the time after that, I'd issue a contract. And then half the time after that, they would actually, you know, agree to sign it. And so it seemed like a lot of work for not a lot of results in the beginning. And so, yeah, it was tough to kind of maintain enthusiasm and confidence that I could make this work for myself. But I did end up getting some clients that were repeat customers. I did end up getting some projects that were one-offs, but you know, their, their feedback was great or the experience was great, or I have something to add to my portfolio. So I will say it has gotten better over the past couple of months. I do have more steady work. There's less time to fill in my day where I'm just not questioning like if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing or not. So I'd say it's on the upswing now, but I will say, you know, for anyone who's considering doing this, it is tough. And you mentioned that you were looking for full-time gigs. Was this shift towards freelancing, was that accidental or was that intentional on your part or a bit of both? So it actually started with a tweet. I am fairly (laughs) prolific on Twitter and I had been struggling with the in-house you know, job search. And I put it to Twitter. I said, I know enough people that are freelancers that I know this is an option for me. Should I pursue it? And I got a resounding barrage of replies from everyone that, you know, they were like, yeah, you should do it. Oh my gosh, you'd be amazing. I want to work with you, blah, blah, blah. So I took that as a signal from the universe that I should pursue it. So I kind of (laughs) let Twitter tell me what to do a little bit. And I mean, what's great is I do have a few freelancers in my network that have been doing what they do for years. And so I actually, I think for the first couple of weeks when I was considering making this switch seriously, I asked them each for about a half hour of their time. And I asked them a bunch of questions from, you know, how do I set myself up as a business? Do I need an accountant? What do I charge? What does a contract look like? How often am I going to have to pursue people for money? Because that was the least palatable part of the job from what I'd heard from people who've been doing this for a while. And so I actually did a bunch of research before saying, all right, I'm going to put some money down on a website and I'm going to find an accountant and I'm going to, you know, figure out how to shape and define my services. And so it was a conscious decision after thinking about it for a bit. So it's not like I just took one job, took another job and then fully rolled into it. I did definitively say, you know, I'm going to incorporate, I'm going to call myself something, I'm going to start pursuing leads that I find. And the person that said, hey, yeah, do it. I want to work with you. Did you end up working with them? (laughs) I did not. I've actually kept it in my back pocket. He works at Salesforce. Mm. And so I didn't know what working for Salesforce as a freelancer might look like. And I wasn't sure Mm. he was just saying it to be nice, honestly. So um, I do. Yeah. So I do have some friends at different companies where I think I could you know, come to them if I needed extra work and they would either try to find work for me or, you know, find other people who might need work. But I did want to try to make it work for myself without asking for favors. So that's what I've been doing so far. And so as you started going around talking to people that have been freelancing for some time, how did this idea of registering as a corporation come about and getting yourself structured? So I had a friend who is a freelancer. She's a graphic designer and she just has been operating as a sole proprietor. And she told me she wishes she had 
not set herself up as that, you know, she wishes she had incorporated because there's a lot of tax breaks that are associated and there's certain benefits that you can get out of doing that. If you think you're going to make a certain amount of money, I forget what the amount was, but at some point, if you think you're going to hit a threshold, it makes more sense to incorporate. It does cost money and it, there is some documentation involved, but she said, I asked her if there were any regrets or anything she wished she'd done differently when she launched. And that was one of the things she mentioned. And then the, one of the people who told me I should absolutely go into freelancing had an accountant that had helped him incorporate. So I just took a referral from him and set myself up with the accountant. And so, yeah, it was easier just to say here, you know what you're doing. Here's the money. (laughs) You you do this for me. Um, I've learned as an adult, like I'm better off, you know, hiring professional movers or having some professional do work yes. for me than muddling through myself. I'm old enough now that I've got enough money that <laughs> I know when it's not worth my time. So that's just one of those things. Like I do think with a business, when you're a freelancer, you do have to make certain investments. And so I didn't feel bad about asking for help. So you mentioned that you started doing discovery calls. You started essentially having your clients go through this funnel. How did you even know what to do? So it goes back to talking to a bunch of people who've done this before. I didn't want to make stupid mistakes. And obviously you can't avoid that. I knew I'd invent new mistakes for myself, but you know, my theme with talking to all these freelancers who had been around the block was, you know, if there's anything I can learn from any pain points you've had or any hurdles you've had to overcome or any obstacles, you know, I want to do my best to avoid them. And if I can learn from your expertise, you know, that's really helpful. And so, you know, one of the people I talked to actually has been on your podcast before, Stefan Palios, and he said, he gave me a ton of useful information (laughs) from, you know, always get it in writing. I mean, he is a fountain of information. So it was so much, you know, it was a fire hose of, you know, always get it in writing. Here's what my contracts look like. You know, you should have a process in place for onboarding a client where you ask them the same set of questions for the same project be really aggressive with your rate, all the things that you're supposed to do. And he just, he was very defined and very, you know, adamant that you follow this step process. So I knew from before I even met with a client for the first time that I should, you know, have an intake form to ask them questions, or if not have a discovery call to ask, you know, define what the project is. And then that would naturally, as I had more information about the project, inform what my rate would be, because then I could estimate how much time it would take me. And then, yeah, and then packaging my services. He helped me. He asked me a bunch of questions that I hadn't even thought about, about, you know, what do I want to do? What kind of clients am I trying to attract? What are my services or packages I can offer? How do I upsell people? So between talking to him and I think it was a handful of other people that have all been in the freelancing boat for a while. I kind of knew what the steps were. It's a lot different having to do it yourself, obviously, but just knowing that there are certain things you should be doing and there's like timing between them was really helpful. And so now that you've gone through this process, at least with a few clients from the sounds of it, what would you say are some of the misconceptions of working full-time as a freelancer? I would say one is people think it's less stressful than having a full-time job, which (laughs) it's different, right? You, instead of having one boss, you have, I don't know, sometimes three to five bosses at a time. So you're (laughs) juggling a lot more of managing the communications and, 
yeah, there are some days where it's really slow and you think, you know, you're failing at this and you don't have that fallback of a steady paycheck or, you know, insurance or benefits. And so that's really nerve wracking. I feel like time passes differently for me than for my clients. And so, you know, if somebody takes two days to get back to me after I've issued a contract and I'm waiting for them to sign it, it feels to me like it's been a week you know, to them, they're busy because they've got a full-time job and they probably, you know, they meant to get back to me, but something else came up, but it just feels like a lot longer. And so you can get in your own head pretty easily. I'd say another thing is vacation. I feel like people think you can just go on vacation whenever you want if you're freelance, but it's kind of opposite because you have to clear so much space for yourself and tell your clients well in advance if you plan to take time off because or else they'll, they might send you an email asking you for something or a deadline might come up. And so I think it's tougher to actually take time off. I've talked to a bunch of freelancers who just don't go on vacation, which Mm. kind of alarms me as someone who's a fan of work-life balance. So I'm going to make sure I'm not that kind of freelancer, but I get that it's really hard, especially in the beginning when you're trying to build up a client base that you don't want to take the time off. And I mean, the truth is you're not getting paid for that time off either because it's it's time you're not spending working. So um, it's kind of a double whammy there. So I'd say you know, yes, there is flexibility in your schedule and the projects you take on, but you also do have a lot of people that are expecting you to deliver things or communicate and your time is not necessarily your own all the time. And aside from flexibility, what are some of the benefits of working (laughs) full-time? I know, I don't mean to make this sound like it's all doom and gloom. It really isn't. Yeah, so I'd say flexibility in setting your rates, you know, you're telling one client your rate, but they, you can tell somebody else something else. And as you get better at your job, or you, you know, have a glowing list of people who would give a reference, you can increase your rates. So, you know, if you make a mistake and undersell yourself once, that doesn't mean you're stuck there forever, which is good. I feel like it's a lot harder sometimes to get a raise in a full-time position than it is to just give yourself a raise as a freelancer. (laughs) And then another thing is the ability to turn down projects. Because mm. I feel like when you're in house, you kind of have to do what your boss asks you for the most part, because you want to be a team player or, you know, you want a promotion or something like that. I've had a couple people approach me with opportunities that just didn't align with my experience at all. And they were things I didn't enjoy doing. And I knew that. And the ability to say, I, you know, I don't specialize in this. I'm not a PR marketer or I'm not, you know, a demand gen marketer. I think people, assume marketers can do basically anything, but there's so many parts <laughs> of the discipline that that's yep. just not true. Um, and so, you know, and they might not understand that and you can educate right. them, right. but you know, the point of having a conversation is to say, you know, is this a good fit on both sides? And to be able to say, no, that's not my specialty. I can actually try to find you somebody else that specializes in that, but I really don't think this is a good fit. That's great. Cause you know, I went into freelancing to be able to have some independence and on things that I enjoy. And so it'd be against the whole point if I'm doing things I don't really want to do. And then, yeah, being able to expand or change the scope of what you're doing as well. If there are certain things that I've wanted to try, you know, I could be honest and say, listen, I'm not a podcast marketer, but you know, if I wanted to learn uh, the mechanics and you want me to help you with something, I'm happy to take on the work maybe at a cheaper rate just to get the experience. So you can always add things to what you offer as long as it's something you either want to learn or you are good at it. Right. And what's been your approach to picking projects and setting your pricing and even marketing yourself? How have you gone about all those things? So in the beginning, 
listened to a lot of the people who said pick a niche. And I think I went too far (laughs) in narrowing the scope. So I actually, I had brainstormed what I was going to call myself. And I had all these notes all around my house that I'd wake up where I'd be in the shower and I'd write an idea down. And I arrived at Quick Wins Department, which is the official name of my business online. And I was trying to think of what projects I could offer that are quick wins or like really impactful that I could get done in a couple of weeks that a client would be really happy with the results. And because of the whole pick a niche that had kind of been drilled into my head by a bunch of freelancers, <laughs> I decided the only thing I was going to advertise on my website was a website optimization package because I'd worked at a website hosting and CRM company. And then I also worked at a website conversion rate optimization company. And so I knew the mechanics of what a good website to design was and how you could optimize it for getting people to buy something or sign up for something. And so I figured that's what I was going to do. I was going to put together an analysis package where I could look at someone's website using a CRO tool and give them advice on how to update it to get more conversions. But of course, that's just so specific that Not a lot of people that I've talked to need that one service. And so what ended up happening is I didn't really use the website to sell my services. I just pitched myself and either had friends come out to me and say, I've got someone who needs help with their content marketing, or I need someone who can mentor my marketing manager, or I need someone who can help me with my email sequence. So there were several clients that were referred to me by friends because they knew that I had a broad set of marketing skills. And then I also went after my own gigs through either like Facebook groups or Slack groups. And if someone said, I need help with my website copy, I could say, Hey, I can do that. And so it'd be more of a one-to-one me telling them I'm available, or they'd say they needed help and I would raise my hand for it. So I haven't really marketed with my website, the way that my website should be marketing me. And actually I'm going to update it after this conversation (laughs) because it's just not doing what it should be doing in explaining what I do. But it was my first attempt at explaining myself. So there are sections of it that I'm happy with about like the about page is still going to be accurate. There's a form for getting in touch so people can still ask me for help if they need to. Yeah. So I think my first step was, you know, defining what I do, maybe not in the best way for the first pass at it. But I think even just pulling off the bandaid of launching a website was important as a step. And yeah, and then it was trying to find work. So I did let people know that I was freelancing. Now I updated my LinkedIn to say marketing consultant. I did keep an eye every day on about five different Slack groups that have job postings or vendor freelancer postings. And so just being really militant about checking in and following up every day when I did see something that aligned with what I wanted to work on. So those were the first steps. And how have things evolved since then? So in the beginning, I had a couple projects that were one-off where I was either helping with a cleanup of a blog that just had really old content that hadn't been updated in a long time, or there was a client that needed me for email sequences, but that was all they needed. But I did over time find a couple of clients that are more long-term. So I actually have two retainer clients now. So I think just finding that steady work has been a big change. And it's really made a difference for my peace of mind because there are some days where, you know, there's not that much work to do in terms of deliverables, but I do Mm -hmm. still get paid for the time because I've got that steady 
income that I can count on. And I mean, I know in the back of my head that they could terminate it, you know, with 30 days notice. (laughs) So it's not like a guaranteed amount of money, but there is a little bit more assurance that, you know, I've got an ongoing relationship. And so that's just been really good. And I know that you should be finding work before you need it. So like I said, from the beginning, just because you find someone who needs help doesn't mean they're going to talk to you. And even if you do issue a contract, that doesn't mean anyone's going to sign it. And even if they do sign the contract, they might not even give you the deposit you asked for. So Mm -hmm. if you feel like there's going to be a lull in your work coming up, it's actually better to start hustling maybe two weeks before that. So I do know in the back of my head that if, you know, let's say one of my retainer clients drops me, I will need to start looking for new gigs pretty soon, even if there's going to be some overlap between the old client and the new one. But I will say like having found a couple of clients that do want to have a long-term relationship is great, especially because, you know, you feel like you're not part of a team as much as you had been if you've been in-house and then you go freelance. Mm -hmm. So having that more insight into the company, more insight into the customer or the product, you know, having a touch point, that's maybe one person or two people that you talk to regularly actually does feel a lot better if you feel lonely. So I would say that's been a major improvement in the freelancing journey I've been on so far. And I do want to go back a little bit and because you mentioned quite a few things that I want to explore a little bit more. You said that you went too niche. What about having a niche was too niche for you? I think when people say pick a niche, they mean, you know, I work with early stage startups or I offer copywriting services to e-commerce or, you know, picking an industry or like a size of business. I think because I picked a service and a very specific service that it was a little too far down the hole of how to define what I do. And I think given the range of things I can work on, it just limited what I could offer. I think it's harder to find someone who's ready to have their website analyzed than it is to maybe find someone who needs content help or email help or ad help. So I think I just narrowed my prospects too much or it would have been harder for me to find the right customer. You know, it's good to be known for one thing. So I don't think that's the problem. It's just the one thing is too specific. (laughs) So, I mean, and I can certainly offer that package to people, but it could be part of another wider range of things. So for example, I could say I could analyze your website, but I could also analyze the emails you send from the collection form on your website. And then I could also, you know, help you with any resources that you offer in those email sequences. So, you know, I could drill down and really offer a wide range of things that relate to that one thing. But I think just offering that one thing is maybe handicapping myself too much. Mm, I have some thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear them. Awesome. So I don't know if you're aware, but I do have a nonprofit called Women and Color. And part of that, we offer a speaker bootcamp as well to help women, people of color and LGBTQ plus professionals kickstart their speaking careers. And so part of that is the idea of the common thread, which at least... The thinking behind it is that if you look at, you know, Brene Brown, her common thread is vulnerability, but she takes that larger concept and then turns it into, you know, leadership, turns it into becoming a better person, 
and you know it comes out with like multiple books and Netflix shows and whatnot. But the common theme across all of them is vulnerability, right? Similar to Simon Sinek in the sense that his is all about leadership. And so, you know, he comes out with a book, Leadership Last, Starting with Why, all the other kind of stuff. So similar thing when freelancers are thinking about niche, they should think about what is that common theme? And then under that, how can you, you know, expand to other pieces? So for me, when I'm listening to you, my thinking is like, okay, I think your common theme is conversion copywriting. And that larger aspect of like, hey, I'm a conversion copywriter. It's like, oh, conversion copywriter. Okay, I see what you're kind of doing, at least on a larger aspect of it. And then from there, it's like, yeah, I can do your website. I can do your email. I can do your blog, whatever the case is, because the larger theme for you, at least me being the outsider here, seems to be conversion copywriting. Do I have that right? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell me if I'm wrong. I'm interested here. So I think one of the reasons that I was excited to go into freelancing is it felt like every in-house role I had as a marketer forced me to get really tactical and data focused and analytical. And it kind of strangles the creative side of things when you're only thinking about, you know, marketing qualified leads that you're generating through your content. And so Mm. I think calling myself a conversion copywriter might put the focus on the outcome to revenue in an unpleasant way. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I don't want to be held accountable for driving results because I definitely do. But I just, if that's, you know, you want to create an experience, you want to educate people, you want them to feel a certain way about your brand. There are all these intangibles that you create with writing that I just think would get a little strangled if the whole thing was, okay, you know, keep an eye on how many leads I drive from this sequence or... You know, I don't want that to be the only thing that someone cares about when I deliver my work. And so I think I'd have to be careful about what the expectations were. At the beginning of our discussion, you mentioned that for you, freelancing right now is a sort of transitional phase where you're testing the waters and you're essentially working with different clients to make sure you're getting, you know, funds coming in and you're growing yourself in terms of your skills and whatnot. And for you, you're just waiting, I guess, for the right company to come along, perhaps, that you do want to work with for full-time. Is that still very much the case? I'd say, yeah. You know, if Shopify comes along <laughs> as a really amazing customer marketing role, I would not say, oh, no, sorry, I'm a freelancer now. Go away, Shopify. But there, yeah, I think it would take a lot for me to give up the flexibility and kind of the learning journey I'm on. I really do love trying things I've never done. And this is completely different challenge than I've ever had to face before. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces to running your own business and it's not all doing the work. It's a lot of backend stuff that I've never had to figure out before. So, you know, I'm not really great at it yet. And so I would like to become really great at it. And so I think, yes, if an amazing company and an opportunity comes along, I would certainly entertain it. But I'm not actively looking for roles right now. And so for the near term, at least the next three to six months, I am envisioning doing this and continuing on the path to figuring out how to make this work as a, you know, as my life. Right. So in a way, you're not viewing things in a binary way in that, okay, you're either freelancing or you're working full time. For you, it's more so, hey, here are some opportunities that I have. 
as a result of freelancing. And in the meantime, I'm not saying I'm not going to look for full-time work or I won't be open to working full-time, especially if a company comes knocking your door and wants to hire you. For you, it's more so, here's what makes sense given the circumstances. And freelancing at this point seems to be working and I'm learning and I'm going ahead with it. I'm not opposed to working full-time, but you're essentially sort of transitioning back and forth given what makes sense to would that be a fair evaluation? Evaluation. Sure. <laughs> oh, fair understanding? <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I mean, one of the things that really soothed me when I was talking to my freelancer friends is, you know, one person said that they will be on as a full-time freelancer for, let's say, a year or two, and then they'll go in-house for, you know, however long and then go back to freelancing. So it's not like you have to commit to one or the other. And that's what you're doing for the rest of your, you know, your life. You, it's very flexible and fluid. And so, you know, once you have your company set up or, you know, you've got clients you can reach out to, you know, you can take a break, you can come back. It's not like it's going to dry up completely. And so I'm going to try to make this work as my studying, you know, I'm going to try to build steady income out of it. And then I'll keep doing it until it's not fun anymore. Or yeah, if a full-time role comes along, that's really juicy. I will, you know, <laughs> talk about it. But yeah, the flexibility to go from one to the other is also really cool because you don't have to sign in blood. <laughs> <laughs> juicy full-time. <laughs> Somebody should get that domain name. <laughs> juicy full-time. That Yeah, I don't know. That could go wrong. <laughs> uh, that's a... <laughs> That's a fair point. I did not think that through. <laughs> <laughs> Got to think of the marketing ramifications. Right, right. That SEO, that SEO result of that. <laughs> All this said, I'd love to know what advice you have for other Canadian freelancers who are thinking of testing the waters, who are considering exploring that freelance opportunity. What would you like to share with them? I guess if you are in a situation where you're in-house somewhere and you've got your full-time job, but you are considering freelancing, I would say certainly make it easier on yourself. Because as I said, if you full-time freelance, you are creating a business, you are, you know, trying to chase after jobs, you are trying to market yourself. That's a lot of work to take on if you already have full-time work. So there are freelance job platforms that you can join that kind of do the heavy lifting of finding the clients for you. So Upwork, for example, is pretty popular. I've heard that mentioned a lot. I joined a platform called Marketer Hire a few months ago, and that's also really great. So if you're a content marketer or ad performance marketer, or you know they've got different categories, I think growth marketing is another one. They actually have brands come to the platform to find to their you know hourly work or part time work to twenty hours. They even have full time gigs that might go to permanent. And so finding a platform like that that does the work for you, where you're not trying to chase up your own business, I think would be really helpful just to see if you take on a project or two, do you enjoy it? Do you find that it's more stressful or less stressful than your full-time job? <laughs> so you can just make a comparison there. Another thing you can do to shortcut having to do the work is there are a lot of freelancers that have been doing it long enough that they get more requests for their time or for projects than they can handle. So there are some people looking for help with spillover work. I've definitely seen this on different freelancing groups where someone says, you know, I've got this client, they've asked for five blog posts this month, but I can't deliver. Can anyone take that on? Or, you know, I've got 
someone asking me for design work, but I don't offer it. Does any designer want to come take that part of the project away for me? And so if you can find a few freelancers that are more established that have more work than they can handle, you know, you can look like a hero to help them, but also (laughs) they've gotten all this stuff like contracts or trying to find the business out of the way. So I'd say those are two easy ways to test the waters. If you want to be a little more serious about it, you could create your own website and see if you get any bites on it. You can tell friends and family you're open to side work. So it depends on how much you want to ramp up trying it out. But those are some good ways without fully committing that you can see whether you are cut out for this or not. Awesome. Well, I'm very eager to listen back to this conversation. (laughs) Juliana, I really appreciate this opportunity to learn from you. I'd love to know where people can find out more about you and your work online. My website is Quick Wins Department. So it's quickwinsdept.com. If I've gotten my act together by the time this podcast <laughs> airs, it will be more than just website <laughs> analytics and conversions as the offering. But I guess that'll be a fun mystery for you to see whether I <laughs> put in the work or not. Or if you want more of an updated list of what I've worked on in the past, you can find me on LinkedIn. So it's J U L I A N A. C-A-S-A-L-E. I have quite a, an extensive history in marketing at different startups. So you can see what different projects I've worked on there. And yeah, as long as you say you came from the podcast, I won't think you're trying to sell me something. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity to learn from me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I've got a lot of research to do on invoicing <laughs> myself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's our show for today. If you like Freelance Canada, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter by visiting freelancecanada.fm. You'll get access to all of my personal notes, as well as book recommendations about the topics discussed in the episode. Now, you will not find any of this on our website, so be sure to subscribe if you don't want to miss out. As with most podcasts, you can listen to every episode through Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot if you could leave us a five-star review. It would mean even more if you shared our podcast with another freelancer so it can help them in their journey too. Finally, if you're tired of leaving money on the table because you don't know which of your expenses you can write off, then sign up for Benji. You can start your 90-day free trial by visiting betterwithbenji.com because freelance life is better with Benji. Thanks for listening.